Hey there, Shelly. Have you heard about VanHack? Oh, you mean the HR tech sensation that's taking the recruitment world by storm? That's the one. VanHack is revolutionizing how companies find top talent globally. Imagine connecting with skilled professionals from all around the world without the hassle. Absolutely. VanHack has a great team and seamless technology where recruiters and companies can discover talent with ease. And they have a talent pool specifically curated for tech professionals. Tech savvy and globally connected, just what every company needs. VanHack offers tailored solutions for companies of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 500 giants. So if you're ready to take your recruitment game to the next level, join VanHack today. Yeah, visit VanHack and unlock a world of talent right at your fingertips. VanHack.com, where global recruitment meets simplicity. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and I'm flying solo. Shelly is somewhere in Europe right now. She's having tons of fun. But on that note, I think she's going to be pretty upset because I have one of her favorite people in the industry joining me, Caitlin McGregor, who's been on the show. I think this is the third time. She is the CEO at Plum.io. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And sorry to miss Shelly, but sounds like she's having a ball. She's having a ball. But the last time I saw you, Caitlin, was actually at Unleash. And thank you again for inviting us to uh, your dinner and the event. You guys do such a great job. Kudos to you. So we have a lot of new listeners, Caitlin. I think the last time you were on was around a year ago. Do you mind giving a quick refresher on who Caitlin is and a little bit on Plum? Yeah, so... I'm Caitlin McGregor. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Plum. We started a decade ago because I wanted to democratize access to highly predictive data that can tell you what jobs people are going to be happy, fulfilled, and thrive in, and really focus on what they could do if given the opportunity, not just what they've done historically, and really disrupting the industry where so many people are matched to jobs based on some form of resume parsing and matching a bag of keywords from a resume to a bag of keywords in a job description. And that's informing who's getting into that structured interview, be it for talent acquisition with external candidates, or even when you're looking internally for internal mobility or succession planning, you know, who's getting into those conversations, we're really using the wrong data set to do it. Companies need to become a skills-based organization and really understand what somebody could do if just given the opportunity. So when you say you you launched 10 years ago, I've seen a lot of traction in the last couple of years. Do you think you launched Plum too early? There's two things. One is definitely the market wasn't ready yet. Um, I think that the employer had a lot of power You know, the relationship a decade ago still very much was here's a paycheck and in exchange, you show up Monday to Friday, nine to five and do the work. And I don't care if you're happy or not. This is the contract we have in place. And we've seen through COVID and post COVID that the balance between the individual and the employer has completely shifted. And that if the employee isn't 
being utilized to their strengths, if they're not able to feel like they're contributing and growing, then they'll leave. They don't need to change cities anymore to get a new job. They can go anywhere. You'll see people on their resume now saying that they've been at a place for six months or nine months or a year, whereas before everybody felt compelled that they needed to stick around for at least two, if not three, if not five years to show loyalty. Right now, people are walking with their feet and going to the opportunities that are going to set them best up for success. And there's a real labor crisis now. Employers can't find enough skilled talent to fill all their unfulfilled roles, and they can't hold on to the employees that they have long enough. And so it's really changing this need that whatever they were doing three years ago to attract, hire, and retain employees, it's not working anymore. So now companies are finally ready to say, okay, we know that the way we've been doing things for a long time doesn't work, but now they have the appetite to actually make the investment in doing things a better data-driven way. And so, yes, the market is absolutely ready. The other part of it, though, is that we spent the first six years really just perfecting the science. Everything we do is based on best practices from industrial organizational psychology. And we really wanted to take this data out of the hands of really expensive, hard-to-understand consultants and turn this data into technology so that it could scale to every person, every role, and match everybody across the employee lifecycle. We had to get the science right, so I appreciate that time. But yes, it's really been in the last three-plus years where we found our stride with large global enterprise organizations using this data on all their candidates and employees. I completely agree. I think we've seen a massive shift since the pandemic, maybe even a little bit before the pandemic of what hiring looks like, what talent retention looks like. But one Sunday morning, I open my newsfeed and I'm going through the New York Times and I saw a talent article and highlighted in that article was Plum. And I thought it was really interesting because what I've seen in the industry is there's a sea of sameness in a sense. There's a lot of players that are saying they're doing something very similar that Plum is. So for you to be highlighted as really the leader of doing this, that must have been pretty good for your ego, right? Yeah, being on the cover of the business section of the Sunday New York Times was pretty amazing. It allowed a lot of our CHROs and senior stakeholders to take this to their CEOs, take this to their other executives and talk about how this is beyond just an HR function. If companies don't have enough of the right talent in their organization, it's really impacting companies' ability to succeed. And so for the New York Times to pick up on, this is not just a siloed human resource issue. This top three boardroom business problem was very validating. And, uh, you know, it was good at pointing out a lot of people when they think about industrial organizational psychology, they either think of unfounded science. This is more of a cult than a science. So everybody likes their Myers-Briggs, but it's not founded by any peer review or any scientific validation and really debunking that a lot of our understanding of quantifying soft transferable skills is either held by these consultants that make it seem very difficult and convoluted, or the ones that we're familiar with are so far away, they're more like snake oil than anything, that as much as in 2023, people understand the importance that the hard skills that we all covet, the shelf life on them is very short. 
five years ago, you may have tried to hire a Ruby on Rails developer. Now nobody cares. You know, that's yeah. completely outdated. That's almost a check against you. We know the shelf life of hard skills is diminishing rapidly. We know the value of these transferable innate talents, like people's ability to innovate, communicate, execute. But it's hard because a lot of people either have that snake oil understanding of it. So they're very hesitant, which is for good reason. Or they feel like it's unaccessible because you have to pay huge consultants to get the accurate data. So few people recognize how far the industry has come and how we can take science and technology and really understand people's potential for every single candidate, every single employee to be able to provide all these insights in, say, who are the best people to upskill, who are the ones that are going to perform best long term. The article was really good at segmenting that the industry has evolved a lot, but people's understanding of it may not have yet. One of the things you mentioned in there, talking about hard skills, I think the latest article that I read on it is generally employees need to upgrade their skills every two years. I don't know if that's accurate, but it seems accurate to me. The perfect example is think about a software developer. They're upgrading their skills almost on a monthly basis. And we're seeing that even more with AI, generative AI coming into play. So I think that's not going to change. But I want to go into that a little bit more because one of the conversations that I have a lot is on replacing the resume and skill-based hiring. I hesitate a little bit that we can move away from the resume in the short term. It's so ingrained in the HR culture, but I think we all realize that we do need to focus on skill-based hiring and how we do it is maybe a little bit overwhelming for a lot of us. What's your take on that? So we have customers that have completely eliminated resumes like Scotiabank, and they've had incredible results, increased their hiring of underrepresented minorities to 60%. They've doubled retention. It's been fantastic. But I've also seen the change management that's required and how it has to be led from the top. And so typically what I see now is it's not about picking the argument to eliminate resumes. It's talking about the order of operations. What is the process flow? So I think every listener on this probably believes that structured interviews are a gold standard. We know that structured interviews allows for a panel of people, so that reduces bias. We know that it helps ensure that what we're measuring is job relevant. I think we've all agreed that is an important step. What's interesting is that We don't talk about what happens before the structured interview. How are we selecting who gets the opportunity to come into that structured interview? In the age of generative AI, you can take your resume and you can take the job description and say, give me the best cover letter, give me the best resume that's going to get past all of that keyword matching so that it's almost binary. If you can leverage these tools, then you can get into that structured interview. And if you're not savvy or you don't have access to some of these things, then you're not even getting a kick at the can. Everything can be gamified. The conversation needs to come to who are we deciding to bring into that structured interview and what is the value we are placing on the different data inputs that we're evaluating to get into that structured interview. So right now, if you pull a resume out of a stack of 100, and make a decision on the spot, should you hire that person or not, you have a 10% chance of getting it right. And that's why we have processes and procedures. In a structured interview, you have a 40% chance of getting that right. Still not incredibly high, but it's one of the best. And it's why everybody is touting it because it's one of the most impactful ways. With Plum, 
we have almost a 40% chance of accurately hiring the right person as well. So almost the same level as a structured interview. So do you want that resume or do you want data on people's transferable soft skills that is four times more accurate than the resume to decide who comes into that structured interview? When you get them into the structured interview, that's where you can start to then use some of that information from the resume to dive in further into those structured interview questions. Depending on the level and expertise, some of that information from the resume is utilized. But for example, if I said, hey, Serge, you're looking for somebody to come in and assist you so that you can get more done between the podcast, your business, your other business, and you need somebody that's really great in execution. You need them to be a team player. You need them to be excellent in communication because they're going to take on some of the social media stuff that you're doing. And you define what is going to make somebody successful from a behavioral standpoint. And in your mind, you wanted somebody that's already done this before for five years. And I say, Serge, here is somebody that has one year of experience and they're a 98 match because they're innovative. They're great at communicating. They're great at executing. They're great at being a team player. They're all the things that you're looking for. They're a 98 match, but they have one year of experience. But this other person that has five years of experience, they're a 40 match. Who do you want to bring into that structured interview? It completely changes who gets screened in. And that's ultimately what skills-based organizations are trying to do. They're trying to stop putting so much emphasis on where somebody went to school, where they previously worked, and they're trying to capture what are those raw ingredients that's going to make somebody successful. The problem is that most people only have access to that resume parsing saying, hey, this person used to volunteer at a hospital. Maybe we should recommend them for a healthcare position. Or this person used to be a teacher. From keywords perspective, know that Teachers do project management, so now I'm going to recommend them for project management jobs. No, Plum actually looks at the individual and says, what allows them to outperform their peers? What makes them wake up in the morning excited about the job they're going to do, allows them to finish the week proud of what they've accomplished, and gives you the insights in terms of if they spend too much time on the things that drain them will lead to burnout. And this really comes down to that retention question that every company is trying to figure out right now. And employees that are connected to opportunities based on their strengths, they see a 322% increase in productivity. And employees with a high fulfillment in the role stay three years longer. So this is all about connecting what naturally drives somebody and makes them exceptional to a role that requires those behaviors. And then saying that other stuff of where they worked or how long they've worked, that is still important. It's just not weighed first. First, we want to start with all the 99s and 98s and 95s. We want to screen in people based on their potential yeah. and then further refine things like geography or time zones or pay, all of those other things, just like a background check. It's important, but you're not doing it at the beginning. You're doing it later on. When right. you yes. Have, you know, have your initial shortlist. So, Caitlin, there's a lot to uncover there. Doing some simple math here. If you're saying 40% that Plum can assess that they should be brought into a structured interview, then look at structured interview at 40%. Does it mean if you do it the right way that your 80% probability of being successful with that candidate? 
I can tell you that we survey our customers at the 90-day mark, the hiring managers, yeah. and 93% of managers say that they would rehire their Plum-recommended candidates again. Scotiabank at the 12-month mark has a 90% rehire rate. So those are pretty incredible statistics. And this is being used by companies like Manulife on every single candidate, yeah. director level and below. So they upload their cover letter and resume into Workday, and before they are done their application... They're taking their Plum assessment, they're getting their Plum profile, and they're using it on every single employee as well. This data is really giving them that insight to understand who their candidates are, who their employees, and understand that human behind the work. I think a lot of listeners and people in the industry completely agree with you. One of the challenges that we all have is we're dealing with a business, right? And this is a massive paradigm shift for a lot of business owners, a lot of executives that don't know anything about HR. Basically, they still think that a ton of people apply and we just pick the best one and that's it. There's nothing more to it. You mentioned change management being one of the biggest challenges at the start. How do we change that mentality? I think that HR has a little bit of PTSD in that if you brought this conversation forward four years ago, you wouldn't have been heard. In the middle of the pandemic, HR were the frontline firefighters, just making sure that everybody had physical and psychological safety. It's really only been in the last year and a half where people have this bandwidth to become strategic. And yeah. it's the first time where I truly believe that the boardroom and the executives at the boardroom, they are looking for solutions at the strategic mm. level around talent. Every customer that we talk to says that this is a top three boardroom issue. There is this real awakening that if we don't have people we can't function as a business. We can't hit sales targets. We can't grow. The board of directors, the executive team, they're ready to hear solutions. And it's about having the courage to say, hey, this is the time to go through a talent transformation. This is the first data we need to become a skills-based organization. And we need to reimagine recruitment to start with our existing employees first. Yes. And then when we can't fill the role internally, that we go externally. This is very similar to the evolution that we've seen with sales and marketing. So a decade ago, if sales targets were missed, marketing would point at sales saying, you guys didn't do a good enough job closing our leads. And sales would post to marketing saying, you didn't give us good enough quality leads. And it was very siloed. Whereas we've seen this evolution of chief revenue officers really bring sales and marketing under the same roof. CHROs should really be bringing the functions of talent acquisition and talent management together so that we're seeing that first we're supporting our existing people, then we're going externally. But historically, the budgets have been much higher in talent acquisition. We've thrown boatloads of money at pay-per-clicks and sourcing and really underinvested in our existing individual people. And now because retention is so poor, there is an appetite to finally invest in their people. And so they're really open to suggestions and really open to innovative approaches. And what we find is if we go in and talk about what we do to somebody quite junior, they're too in the weeds. They're like, wait a yeah. second, this is too much change. This is scary. But the more senior person we talk to, and we talk about this labor crisis and this leaky bucket problem of not enough supply at the top and hole in the bottom bucket, losing all your existing people, they get it. We stop talking and the senior stakeholder will go on for 15 minutes about how this is exactly what they're talking about at the boardroom table. It's about understanding that this is the time 
to be bold and to bring innovative solutions to the forefront and recognizing that it's a journey, but making sure that we have the most predictive data on understanding how to ensure that we're improving quality of hire and we're improving retention is a great first step and it's very achievable. I love it. I definitely think that we're seeing that progress. We're having the conversations that we haven't had ever, especially at the sea level. You mentioned a little bit earlier, and it's really a hot topic around bias. So looking at a recent study shared that 65% of hiring managers scan candidate social media profiles. Think about that bias. What's your thoughts around it? Is it a pipe dream to completely eliminate bias? I think that we can put in really good best practices to bring in objective data and to train people on how to really trust that objective data. The problem is that as humans, we want to de-risk our decisions. And the way that we're naturally programmed to de-risk our decisions is that if we've made two hires in the past and one worked out and one didn't, we're going to automatically create a pattern in our minds and say, okay, that was unsuccessful, that was successful. And now to de-risk my decision next time, I'm going to use that as a lesson learned. And I'm going to do that pattern matching. It's almost like a survival technique. Hey, when I touch the stove, it's hot and it burns me. I'm not going to do that again. So we are programmed to create this pattern recognition. And it's really destructive because it creates these false conclusions Instead, we want to use objective data that is job relevant to then rely on that. It's effectively interrupting the pattern recognition. It's interrupting that bias and giving us another source of data to rely on. And so what we see with Plum all the time is that example where I said, we tend to think more years of experience is de-risking me bringing in somebody into the role that's not going to perform. We know that's Mm. not true. You may have a people leader who's been a people leader for the last five years And we're trying to hire a people leadership role. So we're like, okay, I'm going to hire them. They clearly have managed people before. It doesn't actually get to the heart of, are they good at it? And by the time we get that reference check, and we know a lot of reference checks, we're not getting the whole truth. We've already made our decision. So the question is, is what are we actually hiring for? So you have a panel of interviewers that are making a decision as to what they're hiring for. But can we quantify what is job relevant up front? before that first person even walks into the interview. And this is really what's differentiated Plum is that in six to eight minutes, we're able to survey the internal job experts and narrow down which behaviors are job relevant. This is very similar to KPIs, key performance indicators. So we know that we don't borrow KPIs from a competitor. We know that we don't use KPIs from five years ago. We say, what is job relevant? I'm going to evaluate somebody six, 12 months from now. What does success look like? We do basically a 360 on the role in just eight minutes where each of the three to eight job experts narrow down the KBIs, the key behavioral indicators that predict success. And that becomes that benchmark that everyone gets compared against saying, for this role, which behaviors are job relevant? And somebody may be a 40 match for a financial analyst role, but they may be a 95 for commercial banking because they have different strengths that align better to a different role. But how to set people up to utilize their innate talents every day in their job so that they will outperform their peers, they will stay longer. And it starts with getting the understanding of what behaviors are job relevant and using that to say, okay, this person's a 98. This means I should really consider if they have enough 
potential to be brought in for that structured interview or that phone screen to be considered. And that's what changes the outcomes from a DEI perspective is that we're screening in people that often wouldn't have even been looked at and given the time of day in the first place. One of the keywords that you said in there was de-risk. And I was thinking in my head, how do companies generally de-risk? One of the biggest things they do is they heavily focus on referrals. What's your take on that? Again, it's about screening people in. So a referral is a great opportunity to consider somebody, but that's where the objective data gets layered in. So somebody's mm. been referred in, maybe you're doing a first phone screen with them to get them excited about the opportunity and why they should put some time in. Most of the time, what we recognize is that if you change the type of manager or you change the type of customer or you change the day-to-day -day tasks, that transferability of experience is very weak. What's strong mm. in terms of the transferability are those day-to-day -day behaviors. Are they somebody that's going to have to follow a rigid process and thrive in that environment? Or are they going to be somebody that's going to have to figure out things from scratch, adapt weekly to new experiences? Are they going to have to be really conscious of coming up with out-of-the-box ideas? Or if the behaviors are different job-to-job, -job, then that referral isn't as strong. But the referral can at least source somebody into the process. And then it's about using that objective data to say, but do the behaviors align to the needs of the role? That's a great answer. I think one of the challenges that referral programs have is they get put ahead of the line. But what you're saying is basically, if you're following the same process, and this takes buy-in from every member of the organization, we're going to treat candidates exactly the same, no matter what source they came in, that's the solution. Exactly. And we see this all the time. We just hired a bunch of people. Several of them came in from referrals. But if we have somebody that is a 90 match and somebody yeah. that's an 85 match, then maybe the 85 gets the final offer yeah. because there's a little bit more confidence. But that's how close they are, an 85 yeah. versus a 90. It's really hard because all the time we have to say no to referrals because maybe they're a 50 match or a 60 mm. match. There's just so many more people that are a better fit. But that's for that role. We may keep them in mind for a future role or a different role where they may be a stronger match. All of these pieces of data are important, just like mm. some of the data you find on a resume. It's about making data-driven decisions. The question is, when are you bringing the data into the equation and how much weight are you placing it? Mm. That's what the industry has to change, is that we've been putting the referral at the very top bringing them into that structured interview and removing the opportunity for other people to come into that structured interview that may be a better fit. So the data is important, but we need to really change the order of operations and the weight we're placing on it. A hundred percent. I'm glad you mentioned data because I'm going to make an assumption that Plum has gathered a massive amount of data throughout his 10 years history. I'd just be really curious, like what are the key uncoverings from the vast amount of data that you have? I think there's some really interesting examples of how, one, the spread of people's innate talents, they're evenly distributed regardless of geographic areas. Finding one country where all of a sudden these people are more innovative than the rest of the world or these people yeah, are yeah. communicators of the best of the world. They all tend to spread throughout a bell curve region by region. And so we do adverse impact studies all the time to make sure that the way that the assessment has been designed and the way that we match that there's no adverse impact and that's done with a global set. The second thing that's interesting is that when we talk about what behaviors are job relevant, 
that's where we see the job requirements are different sometimes with different geographies. Bloomberg, for example, to be a successful data analyst in Tokyo is a different set of behaviors to be successful as a data analyst, same title in San Francisco. Really interesting being able to see the granularity of differences. And then sometimes with Scotiabank, when we started in campus recruitment, they had 33 different jobs that they had gone through that eight-minute process to understand which behaviors were needed. When we did the analysis, we saw that actually there were only about 16 differences of profiles, that several of the job titles actually had the same behavioral requirements. So we were able to bring those behavioral needs together. So fascinating that seeing sales, for example, there is no one-size-fits-all in terms of what makes a successful salesperson. You want to get the specificity of your organization at your time who you're focusing to and not rely on somebody else's. Just that importance of the more specific you can get to what are the behavioral needs at your company, the greater predictive validity there is at being able to say these people are going to have a higher quality of hire and they're going to stay longer. The other part is just how well this resonates with candidates and employees. You would think that people are really self-aware. They're not. So when they get their own plum profile and they see their professional development guide, their talent guide that breaks down what behaviors drive them and what drains them, they're so grateful to have a language to communicate what makes them exceptional and kind of a GPS that says, hey, if you're working on conflict resolution, these are the type of TED Talks that you should look at or books you should read or LinkedIn learning courses you should take and that directional of where they'll get the biggest ROI and really helping the individual drive their own career development and change the nature of conversations that they're having with their managers and their peers and their one-on-ones and enabling them to put their hands up. Our tagline is that when people flourish, business thrives. And if you give them the data and the tools, they can really drive their own career development if you can enable them with this data to allow them to be more self-aware. I'll tell you, I did a plum profile and I thought it was bang on. But there's a couple other people that I know did it. And to your point, some of it shocked them. But when they started thinking about it and going more in depth, it just started a conversation in their head. And was, yeah, this makes sense. And redirected their career paths in a way of what they like and what they want to be focused on. So Caitlin, moving on to a little bit of a different topic, if we look at the last two and a half years, but even in the last year, we're seeing kind of two classes, right? We're seeing what I call the laptop class that are getting laid off, where it's a little bit harder than it was a couple of years ago. And we're still seeing a huge demand when it comes to hospitality, retail, skilled trades. And now we're already halfway through the year. Like, take out your crystal ball. What should we expect in the next six months when it comes to the world of recruitment or even the world of work? I think that we've definitely seen tons of layoffs in the tech sector and it got so much press and yes. big named companies that we often use a lot of their software. And I think it was really skewed the view of what's actually happening. Sherm was just reporting that the number of unemployed people has stopped dropping since May. It's leveled off again. We're seeing that, yes, we had a few months there where it looked like maybe some of those layoffs were going beyond tech. But personally, I think it's a blip. When we talk yeah. to our enterprise companies, they're coming off of hiring freezes. They're trying mm. to make sure that they are 
both investing in their existing employees, and that means helping them with internal mobility and development and rethinking about how they're going through transformation. There's going to continue to be that investment on their existing people. And that is new. I feel like a lot of companies don't have the maturity when it comes to talent management. It's a new endeavor and a new set of investments. So I think we're going to see that continue. But I also think that there's still going to be hiring of external people. There's fields like cybersecurity, where there's 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity roles in North America. And that problem isn't going away. So companies are going to continually try to fill those roles. And that's where deciding to maybe upskill their existing employees or training people that are new to the field are becoming more and more of a focus. I was just in Barbados last month for the graduating of 100 students in cybersecurity through a company that we partnered with called Protexa. And so Protexa used Plum to screen in who was going to go into their upskilling program, and then to use Plum as part of their professional development to help them through this four-month intensive upskilling training. And so of those 100 graduates, the vast majority of them have already been hired into positions. And what's so amazing is that this is having a real impact on the GDP of Barbados. Historically, a lot of Mm. countries like Barbados have really thrived through two areas, hospitality, which we know took a big hit in COVID and is not necessarily the most sustainable thing that a country can rely on. But the other source of revenue that a lot of countries have had is through remittances. This is a full circle moment for me because I studied international development. My graduating thesis was in remittances. And that's when somebody leaves the country, makes money, often a foreign salary, and then sends a portion of that money home. Remittances have had the biggest positive impact. This is an opportunity for people to not have to leave the country and instead take a remote job where these students right out of the gate are making $30,000 U.S. a year as a cybersecurity analyst. And that is a huge steal for companies in the U.S. and Canada to hire them for a one-year contract at such a low cost. But also by the time they get to their second year, they're probably going to be making double that. And this is already probably going to be about 10 times what they would have been making locally. So a huge, huge impact on helping fill those unfulfilled roles in cybersecurity, huge impact on the economy of the country. And this is just the beginning of what I think remote work is really allowing us to do. So I think you're going to see more and more people realizing that to fill this labor crisis and solve for this leaky bucket, there's huge opportunities to think outside the box and really change people's lives and have big impacts on global economies. And this is all a good news story. What allows a company to thrive? And they're continuing to invest in people flourishing and in these out-of-the-box ideas of filling the gap in this labor crisis, I think is what we're going to continue to see the latter half this year, which is a much more positive story than what we've been hearing in the media, especially that's been dominated by the tech industry, which is such a small part of the actual labor force. Yeah, I think it's three or 4% is minute. And you're completely right. But interesting perspective. I'm really glad you brought up the Barbados story because I had promised Jason I was going to ask you about that. Aside from that, Caitlin, so someone can get a hold of you by going to LinkedIn, finding Caitlin McGregor, M-A-C, because I made the mistake several times. And also definitely check 
plum.io. Is there anywhere else they can find you? They can email me at caitlin at plum.io. It's C-A-I-T-L-I-N at plum.io and I'll direct them to the right person or through LinkedIn or just our general inboxes, hello at plum.io. And then if people want to complete their Plum profile, they can yes. take it right off of our website. I can also give you a link so that your listeners can unlock their professional development guide and see all 10 of their Plum talents and see exactly what drives and drains them. For everyone, I'll put this in the show notes and also on our social media posts. Definitely do check out that link because I know a whole lot of people have done it and found it fascinating and it drove a lot of value, which I think is one of the big benefits of Plum. It's easy to do for the candidate, I found. And it's a really cool layout when you get it back. It's something that you can bring with you anywhere you go, which kudos for you guys doing that. So Caitlin, really appreciate you on the show. I'm sure we'll have you again in the near future, but enjoy your summer. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.